The Boilermakers survived the week, winning two on the road, then taking care of Maryland and Mackey Arena on Sunday. And now they are likely again the number one team in the country. Let's talk hoops on Gold and Black Radio. Kyle Charters with Brian Newbert. We'll talk some football too with Tom Deanhart here in just a moment. But first, this. On the far end of Main Street in downtown Lafayette, you'll find East End Grill, industrial and classic. The restaurant is built like a steakhouse, but handles like a bistro. East End Grill's menu includes creative starters, simple chopped salads, burgers, fresh fish, and steaks, and the signature shrimp and grits. The staff prepares every item from scratch and emphasizes simple meals that incorporate fresh, local, and seasonal ingredients. A warm and inviting dining room features a cozy bar that includes a great selection of craft beer, inspired cocktails, and a robust and expanding wine list. Whatever your entertainment needs are, a cocktail at the bar, dinner with family, or a special event in the private dining room, the energized and attentive staff is here for you. Eastern Grill in downtown Lafayette, welcome to our table. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. AcrePro Midwest Farm Group is your local farmland specialist. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or simply buying and selling farmland, your local AcrePro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Visit AcrePro.com or call 765-587-3185 to talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765-587-3185. All right, Brian, the Boilermakers get a victory against Maryland on Sunday. It was not easy. It looked as though it might be easy in the first half when Purdue had a double-figure lead, but that dissipated in the second half, and Purdue was able to hang on for a three-point win. I mean, maybe when Purdue didn't make plays toward the end of a a similar game against Rutgers a a few weeks ago, Purdue was able to make the plays sort of when shots were not falling against Maryland and uh, perhaps shows that Purdue can win in some other ways. Clearly, the offense wasn't quite there on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, but you also can't win them all. So comparing that game to the Rutgers game – would be naive to the fact that, you know, Purdue won at Ohio State, Purdue won at Michigan State, Purdue won at Nebraska weeks ago. Purdue's been pretty good in close games. And, uh, you know, I think that um, there's a lot of reasons for that, Uh, one of which is Purdue's really committed to defending. Uh, I think they're doing a good job putting themselves in better positions late in games because they're, they're doing a good job with possessions, albeit Purdue, you know, Pretty turned the ball over too much um, yesterday. Uh, I think a lot went into that. Um, the different looks Maryland gave them. I think the fact Braden Smith probably was a little bit tired at the end of that game. That that's normal. That that's okay. Uh, you know, as much as as many norms as this season has kind of belied for Purdue, it, it, it they're still human beings. They're they're still they're still young dudes and you know stuff's going to happen. I think you know if some of those turnovers just weren't, you know, pick sixes that put Maryland out in transition, I think Purdue wins this game by double figures relatively comfortably. Um I think it was a little bit like Nebraska in that regard where if if uh the first Nebraska game I should say. I think if Nebraska just doesn't go on that random run of just throwing in random outlier threes, you know, Purdue wins that game comfortably and I think you know if Purdue just had traveled or committed offensive fouls or whatever uh <laughs> for those turnovers instead of those turnovers getting Maryland out in transition I think 
this game unfolds very differently. That said, that stuff happened. And, you know, I, I, I think this season for as much as it's changed the way everybody should be viewing it. I think that there are still a lot of firsts for this team. Uh, F I R S T not F U R S T. Um, and I think this was another one of them yesterday. I, I don't think Purdue's been zoned very much. Um, this season, and I think that crossed Purdue up a little bit, crossed Zach Eady up a little bit. Uh, you know, I think it created some problems for Braden Smith. I think those guys were disrupted as much as as, as they've been all season long. Um, but also, I think Purdue is still – they got really important players here doing this, this whole, you know, th- three games in a week thing um, that everybody in the Big Ten has to deal with because of TV. Um, and I think – Every now and then, Purdue's going to look human, and Purdue's going to look mortal. And you know, it, it's possible that you know Zach Eady here and there, every now and then, is going to look a little bit less than himself because not only is he playing thirty plus minutes a game, but now he's going to be doing it three times in a week. And I think that Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer would be perfectly understandable um, for those guys at some point to look a little bit, you know, worn down. I thought I thought Braden Smith and the Final few minutes of that game yesterday did, and I think, I think that's normal. And I think Purdue just finding a way, and Purdue winning low scoring games, and Purdue figuring out ways to get stops at the end of games. I think is 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 uh, what it's all going to come down to. It, it it's not going to be easy. I mean, I think this whole Big Ten season has proven that, not just around Purdue, but everywhere. These games just somehow, some way, find a way to come down to the wire. And Purdue is now 4-1 and one in Big Ten games that have, have done just that. You know, they won at Ohio State. They won at Michigan State. They they held off Maryland. They won in overtime at Nebraska. They lost to Rutgers. Uh, and that's – that's who, who else in the Big Ten can say they've been that good in close games? It's, it, it's just completely atypical for a team as young and as new as Purdue is. But – that's why they are where they are. One reason why Purdue can overcome the inability to hit three pointers or just jump shots in general. I, I don't, I haven't gone through to look, but did Purdue hit a single jump shot in the second half of the game on Sunday? It doesn't feel like they did. But one reason why you uh, Purdue can overcome that is because of Zach Eden. Now he might not have had his best game ever against the Terrapins, but he still goes for 24 and 16. Purdue can still score some points occasionally, uh, even when they're not hitting jumpers. And one of the reasons is because he's been so consistent this year. Yeah, and just don't take it for granted. You know, I've said that a bunch of times this season, where don't let it just become part of the landscape, you know, where it's just, oh, 24 and 16, how about that? You know, um, (laughs) because he's to the point now where, you know, Caleb Swanigan got there and a few other guys, a select few other guys got there where it's just, oh, we, that's kind of what we expect. Um, and y- you don't really pay attention to it when, when the game's over with. But he's just he's just been so unbelievable at both ends of the floor this season that, you know, you look at the way he played yesterday and it wasn't his best game. And he he, he still gets 24 points and 16 rebounds and really makes his impact felt at the at the defensive end of the floor. He's the biggest reason that Purdue is a much better defensive team this year than they were last year. Now, a lot more goes into it. This is a much more attentive team. This is a team that listens much better than last year's team did. 
I think Ethan Morton's having a really good defensive season. I think uh, Purdue has fewer limitations defensively than 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 it did last season. Um, but the biggest reason is is Zach Eady. I, I think that you know he ought to be in that mix for Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. I, I don't think he'll get it ultimately, but he's he has he has loomed large over the biggest transformation in this team, not just for, from one year to the next, but, you know, Purdue's not been a great defensive program for like five years now. And they've been okay at times, but they've not been what, you know, Matt Painter has always aspired for them to be. Now, part of that is they have built this program around offense here uh, in its, its more modern era. Um, but I think this is, the best defensive team he's had in a handful of years now. And I think Zach Eadie's the biggest reason for that. And it's just everything he does. I, there can't be a player in college basketball who bears more responsibility and more influence for his team than Zach Eadie does. And everything he's been, that's been needed from him. He, he has delivered and then some, and he, he's done it with a level head. He's done it with a constant motor. He's done it setting a great example for this whole team and that filters down and that that's from an intangible perspective that's just an enormous part of this team's success you just cannot say enough about what Zach Eady has done for this team this year yeah the most influential player in college basketball and I I don't really think it's particularly close probably I mean just influences everything out there on the court for Purdue uh he was getting absolutely hammered during the game uh, on Sunday. I mean, Maryland's strategy appeared to just be foul him, push him, shove him, do whatever to him until the officials called it. Now the officials did call it sometimes, but man, uh, he was just getting uh, beaten up in there. And it, you you don't see Matt Painter talk much about officiating, but he did a little bit uh, in the, in the post game. In my opinion, there became this ridiculous narrative after the Michigan State game that somehow Zach Eady was being catered to by the officials. Uh, I, I think Painter sort of felt like he needed to push back on that a little bit uh, after the game on Sunday. He's not getting catered to. He's playing good defense. He moves really well. And at times, he's just getting battered out there. You could call a foul on every possession easily. Yeah, what didn't make any sense to me, and I'm not taking sides in, in any of this, but like, okay, so there's this 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 stretch there in, in the first half where Maryland gets called for like four fouls on Zach Eady in like 30 seconds or mm-hmm. something like that. They bring their backup in. He has two fouls before he even knows he's in the game. Um <laughs> And then they just – did they stop fouling in the second half? Yeah. Or did they just stop calling in the second half? Uh, that's what, you know, didn't make a whole lot of sense to me because um, fouls are fouls, you know, and the the impulse sometimes to balance things out just doesn't make a lot of sense. And I, I, I don't think the game was played differently in the second half. Uh, I haven't gone back and watched the game again yet, but – real time I didn't see things being played out any differently I, I did see Zach Eady called for a for an offensive foul where I thought Julian Reese the head kickback on the contact didn't align necessarily with the contact yeah. which 
spoke to maybe some embellishment, but I think, you know, after the Michigan State game, Tom is a, you know, who, by the way, is the one who decided, who decides every year to go one-on-one in the post, in which case he is telling his big guy, you have to play the game in an octagon. So, of course, there's going to be a lot of contact. But, you know, Zach Eady is allowed to work for position. Zach Eady is allowed to cleanly get shots off. And when he doesn't, those are fouls. And just because you have this, this, this profoundly unique player who you don't see anymore because this particular species of player is much less prevalent now than they would have been 20 years ago. Um, they still have rights too. And just because you don't see it every day doesn't necessarily mean that um, they should be, they should be officiated uh, any different. It, it's it's just, it's been a really complicated topic for years now. Um, you know, I, I think it applied to Isaac Haas. I think it applied to Caleb Swanigan, um, probably to a certain extent uh, applied to AJ Hammonds and, you know, Purdue has a guy like this every year. So it, it it's not like, these officials don't know, and these coaches who, you know, complain after games don't see this on a regular basis anymore. It's just what you worry about for Purdue is that, you know, these officials are human beings, uh, you know, contrary to popular belief. And you just worry one of these games, you're going to get that guy who just wants to shut Tom Izzo up or just wants to shut Kevin Willard up or, or something and just, just just kind of goes overboard and uh, takes Zach Eady out of the game and Purdue loses a game because of it. Um, but I think Zach e- – yeah, I, I think Zach Eady probably, you know, probably commits some fouls that don't get called. I think Matt Painter is absolutely correct where it's – he probably gets fouled twice as much as gets called too. And how you uh, – how you find common ground in a conversation like that, I don't know. Um, but we're not going to hear the end of it uh, anytime soon because I think there's a little bit of grandstanding in the media being done. And I, I think Izzo set the tone for that, knowing full well that after that Purdue game in East Lansing, he played Purdue again in two weeks and wanted to uh, kind of get between the ears of whoever's going to be calling that game. Yeah. It became a ridiculous narrative, in my opinion. Uh, after the Michigan State game. I thought Painter had to push back on it a little bit, and he did on Sunday. Uh, Purdue's likely to be number one or number two, probably number one here in a couple of hours in the country. Uh, Part of me feels like Purdue might rather be number two just because, I don't know, it doesn't really matter all that much, but but maybe you'd just rather be uh, number two rather than than the number one team. Um, Pretty remarkable. Purdue's going to be number one twice this season um, with – with where it started and what we thought the Boilermakers would be this year. Yeah, it's possible Alabama moves to number one, too. So I don't know if it's necessarily a, a given Purdue's going to be number one. By the time people listen to this, they'll probably be number one, and I'll sound like an idiot. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I it's 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 hard to get there in the first place. and Once you leave that perch, it's, it's, it's harder to get back. But I think Purdue has... Uh, the one thing about Purdue this season, the way they've played and the way they've kind of approached things, I think it speaks to consistency. You know, I said this after the Minnesota game that I I think 
that game was a big indicator of Purdue's ability to be consistent. The fact that, you know, it's a, a sleepy Thursday night, you know, uh, in Minneapolis, it's cold. It's, it, it's a, it, it's a, a struggling opponent in a, a less than capacity environment. Um, and Purdue showed up and Purdue showed up and then some, and then, you know, Purdue was great in the first half against Maryland. Um, I don't think Purdue's going to beat itself, uh, yeah. you know, this season, uh, at least more than once or twice. Um, I think people are going to have to bring their best to beat Purdue. And I think Purdue, I don't think you see a lot of reason for worry that, uh, you know, Purdue's not going to respond when somebody realizes if they beat Purdue on their home floor, then they're going to storm the court and stuff like that. I think this team is just built better to kind of take things one game at a time and to kind of just be the same every single game and every single possession and every single half. And, I think that speaks to Purdue's ability to be consistent. And that's part of the reason why if Purdue gets back to number one, it will have, it will have done so, but that's also going to be part of the, if Purdue wins the big 10 regular season title, or at least shares it, that's going to be the reason why too. I mean, you're sitting here two games up now in the, in the loss column. And if you can just be consistent the rest of the season and let that, that, robust middle of the big 10 which is basically teams two through 12 <laughs> um yeah keep keep cutting each other up all season long how many winning streaks have there been in the big 10 this year outside of purdue not very many correct that's because i think and i, I don't want to necessarily exclude purdue from this but i think those top 12 teams Basically, there's not all that much difference. And I think Purdue's been able to win close games. I do think Purdue is the best team in the Big Ten. I think th- I think they've earned that they've they've earned that mantle with their body of work for sure, but they've also won a lot of close games. And the difference yeah. between the difference between seven and one, eight and one, whatever they are, and like five and three is not very significant. And I think you've put yourself in this position now where you're two games up. If you can just be consistent the rest of the way. And let everybody else keep winning every other game. <laughs> you know, I, I think you're. I think you're going to win this league. And uh, consistency is one of the highest compliments you can give this team in the in the in the context of what Purdue saw last season. And uh, you know, uh, it's it's probably debatable whether or not I should still be framing Purdue as a young team or not. They are. But it's halfway through the season, and and Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer have played a whole season, damn near worth of minutes, and carried a whole season worth of responsibility. And Zach Eady has obviously proven the test of time here, passed the test of time, yeah. stood the test of time, whatever the hell verb I'm looking for there. <laughs> um, there's not a whole lot of reason to think that they're just gonna, you know, fall flat. They're they're not just gonna have a bad week and and lose lose three games in a row because they hit some sort of wall. I think they're going to be I think they're going to be pretty steady the rest of the way. It doesn't mean they're not going to lose games. Uh but somebody's going to have to beat them more than it's going to be Purdue just not showing up. Thanks, Brian. Yep. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll uh talk a little football with Tom. That's coming up next on Golden Black Radio. At Purdue Federal Credit Union, it's about a relationship. A relationship that goes where you go. 
wherever you are in life. A relationship that's committed to free financial wellness resources, lower fees, and innovative digital banking solutions. Because we believe in people helping people. Let's build your financial future together. Purdue Federal Credit Union, your trusted financial partner for life. Federally insured by NCUA. Designing and building since 1968, TNW has changed the way people think about construction. TNW's three-stage approach to designing and building is unmatched throughout the construction industry. Learn more about TNW's people, passion, and projects at TWDesignBuild.com. Experience unparalleled comfort, service, and cuisine at the Whitaker Inn. This Midwestern oasis is perfect for a relaxing staycation or weekend getaway. Escape from the ordinary at the Whitaker Inn. Dissolve your limitations and experience a deeper connection with your mind and body through a series of wellness workshops. Join Sand Valley for curated weekends that provide an opportunity to detach yourself and develop new tools that will change your life. Sign up today to discover new ways to speak to your body. To reserve your stay, call 844-277-0191 or visit sandvalleypursuits.com front slash events. All right, Tom, let's talk a little bit of uh, football. A couple of um, coaching staff moves here made over the last several days. So we have that. We've got uh, signing day coming up, which how, how are we to signing day again already? That's <laughs> a week from Wednesday. Spring practice will be here before we know it, which I'm, I'm curious, and we'll get to this little spring practice talk uh, in a moment. I'm curious about exactly when – Maybe you think that might start for Purdue this year. But let's start with some of the, the personnel uh, coaching staff moves that Purdue has made. Lamar Kennard is the new running backs coach. Of course, a familiar name for the Boilermakers, the former Boilermaker. So Lamar Kennard coming over from Miami of Ohio. Uh, he sort of fills out the on-field coaching staff now for the Boilermakers. Yeah, you're going to be cutting your grass before you know, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Lamar Kennard, you're right, Kyle. Familiar name to Boilermaker fans. Got to Purdue in 1996 under Jim Coletta. Was a walk-on defensive back. Joe Taylor comes aboard the next year. Kennard goes on scholarship and was a key member of what those those three fun teams in the late 90s. Uh, valued uh, DB and a and a popular teammate. I guess a lot of former Boilers were really pushing to get Lamar on staff and. And here we are, like you said, the, the news broke last week, and Purdue has a, a former boiler, uh, again, working with Ryan Walters, running backs coach, and he's already obviously out recruiting. So, uh, yeah, it's always good to have another boilermaker in the fold. Yeah, and that coaching staff now completes special teams. Uh, maybe a little bit of a question what Purdue does with its special teams. Yeah, I mean, they're still unknown. I, think, I still think they're trying to figure it out, Kyle could be handled by an analyst off-field analyst uh duties could be split up among assistant coaches kyle you could have one guy handle hey you got the, you're the punt return guy you're the kickoff return guy so it could be handled piecemeal like that so again the 10 full-time positions have been filled and so again that, that that's what i hear right now maybe they're leaning toward going with the analyst route and a lot of teams i'm told do that so yeah that's something for everybody to keep on the radar as well I'm headed down to Houston, Sugarland area uh, next month. I maybe I'll run into to Tony Levine and see if he wants uh, that. <laughs> it's he was a good one. He was a good was, one, no doubt. Uh, Purdue has a a general manager, chief of staff, whatever you want to call the position now, and and Noah Joseph. Uh, you reported 
I think uh, a couple of days ago, maybe it was Sunday, that uh, that he would be part of the staff as well. This is becoming more and more common, mm-hmm. right, to sort of treat the whole operation a little bit like an NFL organization and have a GM or chief of staff or whatever you want to call it, Noah Joseph, fulfill that role. Yeah, I think it's, you're right. It's kind of becoming a trend, and it makes a lot of sense. You talked about the NFL structural model. There's a lot like that. Yeah, college football, as we all know, seems like it's becoming more and more like the NFL in a lot of ways. So Noah Joseph um, brings a lot of experience to the table. Uh, was actually an on-field coach at Rutgers. Uh, and then most recently, he was an analyst at Missouri. Um, but he's also coached at several other schools on the field. North Texas is another stop. So he's going to work again with the personnel, help help uh, Coach Walters manage the roster, help help with recruiting, and even help with NIL, just sort of, I guess, in an overarching position that's probably going to have his hand in a lot of different things. Because um, as we all know, man, there's a lot going on with these football programs. The head coach is busy enough, and to have a guy like that who's always watching every aspect of the program and there's going to be a benefit. So I think it was it was, seems to be a very good move by, by, by Ryan Walters to bring in Noah. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, I, I just think that you – I think that you're benefited greatly if you've got somebody else there to sort of manage uh, roster-type issues. Seems like a great idea, especially with, like you said, NIL and Transfer Portal and yep. uh, all of that stuff. Um, somebody's got to be there to sort of oversee all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of roster moves, signing day is coming up uh, February 1st, next Wednesday. Purdue had a couple of guys, Kendrick Gilbert and George Burhan, who were both verbal commitments who did not sign in the early period. Still a chance those guys could sign on here in uh, 10 days, right? Yeah, I think that's the the general vibe, Kyle, that both those guys will put pen to paper on February 1st and will become Boilermakers officially. Of course, they've been committed, like you said, for months, going back to well, maybe the summer or the fall, didn't sign in December. Um, but again, seemed to be still trending toward them signing with the Boilermakers. And Kyle, I wouldn't be shocked if Purdue doesn't secure a few other signatures. You know, I think they only signed 15 guys in December. And I know they've been out recruiting some other 2023 kids. Um, they had a big offensive tackle from Orlando in. I think they're going to have a good shot to get his last name is St. John. Uh, I think they're going to get the junior college offensive tackle, Isaiah Walker from Butler County in Kansas. He visited this last weekend along with St. John. And uh, I think there's a good chance that they're going to get this this athlete from Festus, Missouri, named uh, Adrian Branch, um, who, again, as a guy that can run back kicks, catch passes, could become a cornerback, just a tremendous leaping ability. So those are three guys who are 2023 recruits. I think Pierce has a good chance to get. And I know the, the kid from Festus Branch is going to visit this uh, this weekend. So who knows? Maybe you'll give him a commitment then. Yeah. All right. And also spring practice coming up at some point. Is there a chance that, the, you know, Purdue has started spring practice in late February? Yeah. And during the Jeff Brom era. Could it, could it start a little bit later this year um, just because of everything else going on and sort of being able to transition into on-field practices might take a little bit longer? It will start later, without a doubt. And you're right. Jeff Rom typically got going that last week of February. 
Ryan Walters wants about eight weeks of full-blown conditioning slash weightlifting here in January and February. And I'm, I'm told to sort of expect spring ball to start the week after spring break at Purdue. Um, so maybe like the third week of March, uh, it's about when we, we could expect spring ball to start. I'm told the spring game will probably be, I think, Saturday, April 22nd. It's not going to be in Ross Age for obvious reasons with the construction. They're still looking at sites. Kyle, it could be down in Indianapolis. You probably remember one time I think he went to Carmel. So I think they're I think they're they're scouting sites down there. Maybe the University of Indianapolis is, is a possibility. They wanted to stay local. I think Lafayette Jeff. So again, I still think they're trying to figure out where they want to play the spring game. But that looks like April twenty second, and again, spring football probably like mid March, the week after Purdue spring break. Yeah. Good info, Tom. Thank you. Be good, buddy. That'll do it for our podcast for this week. A thanks to our sponsors, as always. If you do like the podcast. Please rate us five stars on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a comment as well. All right, that'll do it for our show for this Monday. For Brian Newbert and Tom Deanhart, I'm Kyle Charters. This is Golden Black Radio.